0: Hello and welcome to No Nonsense Catholic. I'm your host, Matthew Arnold for Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And this week we're going to look at some of the treasures of our tradition, uh, hopefully including Ber- uh, St. Bernard of Clairvaux's teaching on the third coming of Christ. And yeah, you heard me right. Uh, also going to break my silence on Amazon Prime's morally bankrupt interpretation, or should I say, misinterpretation of the world of J.R.R. Tolkien that they call the Rings of Power. All that and more, including a little discourse on human and Christian freedom, true freedom. And hoping that this week we will not have the uh, the choppy interference that happened last week's uh, program. I think it was because of the Santa Ana wind conditions here in Southern California had things uh, uh, not working as well as they ought, but uh, hopefully that won't be the case today. So jumping right in, a Sunday of this week was the last before Advent, and the Novus Ordo, they celebrated uh, the, its version of the Feast of Christ the King, and the extraordinary form celebrated the 24th and last Sunday after Pentecost. The Gospel is the first half or two-thirds of the famous Olivet Discourse of Jesus and is taken from St. Matthew 24, verses 14 through 35. So a long reading, 20 verses. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation about which the prophet Daniel spoke standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, The one who is standing on the roof must not come down to collect what is in his house, and someone who is in the field must not turn back to retrieve his coat. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that you will not have to take flight in the winter or on a Sabbath, for at that time there will be great suffering that has not been equaled since the beginning of the world until now and will never again be duplicated." And if those days had not been cut short, no one would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, they will be shortened. Therefore, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise, and they will perform great signs and wonders that are impressive enough to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. Remember, I have forewarned you about this. So if anyone says to you, Behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go out there. If they say, Behold, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For just as lightning comes from the east and is visible even in the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the body is, there the eagles will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give forth its light. The stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a trumpet blast, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs become tender and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things take place, know that he is near, at the very gates. Amen, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Thus far the words of the Holy Gospel. What was the abomination of desolation mentioned by both Daniel and Jesus? Well, the prophecy of Daniel regarding the abomination of desolation was fulfilled in 168 B.C., when Antiochus Epiphanes made a sacrifice to Zeus on the sacred temple altar, and to add insult to injury, he sacrificed a pig, which, of course, was an unclean animal. You can read about it in Daniel's chapters 9 and 11. But when Matthew adds parenthetically, let the reader understand, he means that Jesus was not talking about what happened in the past, but about a coming event that would be similar. And Jesus' words were remembered in 70 AD when the Roman Titus, after destroying Jerusalem, placed a pagan idol on the burned out site of the temple. Note that Jesus said, Amen, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. A biblical generation is 40 years, and it was within 40 years that the Romans destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, not leaving one stone upon another as he prophesied. Moreover, the abomination of desolation may be seen as more than one specific object, event, or person, but as any deliberate attempt to mock and deny the reality of God's presence. According to St. Paul in Second Thessalonians and St. John in the Revelation, In the end times, the Antichrist will set up an image of himself and order everyone to worship it. Which puts me in mind of the way that communist dictators like Stalin and Chairman Mao forbid the worship of God, but set up giant pictures and statues of themselves and made everybody parade by and salute them. All of these are abominations to God. Now, the language of the Olivet Discourse is apocalyptic. Jesus talking about the end times, telescopes, near future and far future events, as did the apocalyptic writers in the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophets. So many of these persecutions have already occurred. More are yet to come. And the fact that the prophesied destruction of Jerusalem was fulfilled demonstrates why we have good reason to believe that the other prophecies will also be fulfilled. Jesus said, At that time, there will be great suffering that has not been equaled since the beginning of the world until now and will never be duplicated. And if those days had not been cut short, no one would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, they will be shortened. So God is in control even of the the length of persecutions, and he will not forget his people. And this is all we need to know about the future in order to motivate us to live rightly here and now. And speaking of here and now, Jesus' warnings about false teachers still hold true for our own day. But upon closer examination, it becomes clear that many nice-sounding messages today don't agree with God's message. You know, I often talk about the idols of the ancient world um, and how they were personifications of money, sex, power, popularity, and how those same idols are worshipped today whenever we put any person or worldly thing before God. You know, for instance, if you check your social media before you say your morning prayers, and you need to realign your priorities. And sometimes the temptation to modern idolatry is even more subtle. Anytime we make the God of Revelation conform to our own liking, we have an idol. Anytime you hear somebody say, my God wouldn't do that, well, that's a form of idolatry, because there's only one God. And only by maintaining our relationship with, with him in truth Right, through scripture, prayer, frequenting the sacraments. Only then will we be equipped to perceive the errors and the distortions of the false teachers of our day. For, Jesus said, false Christs and false prophets will arise and they will perform great signs and wonders that are impressive enough to deceive even the elect if that were possible. I ask you, uh, back in 1969, when the United States sent a man to the moon, it required a whole room full of computers as big as refrigerators. And now, speaking of signs and wonders, I've got this little rectangle in my hand that has more computing power than all of NASA combined in 1969. Signs and wonders indeed, and uh, deceitful ones at that. You know, he also says that in times of persecution, even the elect, he says, Even confirmed Catholics are going to find it difficult to remain faithful. To keep from being deceived by the false messiahs, we have to understand that Jesus' return will be unmistakable. He says like lightning in the sky. No one will doubt that it is he. So if you have to be told that the Messiah has come, then he hasn't. Because Christ's second coming will be obvious to everyone. In verse 30, Jesus says, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and all the peoples of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with great power and great glory. The fathers of the church were convinced that the sign in the heaven will be a great cross. And the nations of the earth will mourn. They're going to mourn their sins because unbelievers will suddenly realize they've chosen the wrong side. And everything that they've scoffed at and ridiculed is being fulfilled, and that they have to face judgment. You see, this perspective on the end of the world is meant to keep the church on her guard. But it also concerns each one of us, for it affects the end of every individual. And we need to remember, you and I will face a particular judgment as well as the general judgment. You're not going to be able to hide in the back, right? God doesn't grade on the curve. And therefore, you and I must be committed and vigilant so as not to find ourselves excluded from the kingdom. And that's the message of this gospel, and that's no nonsense. I would point out also, there is in this gospel, in verse 28, a very strange uh, verse of scripture. Wherever the body is, there the eagles will gather. That's the classic Dewey Reims translation of the, um, of the Latin Vulgate. And, you know, this, this 24th uh, Sunday after Pentecost, most appropriate for the last liturgical Sunday of the year, because as we enter into the season of Advent, we're preparing for the Lord's coming. You know, liturgically, his coming in the celebration of his nativity, but also for his coming in glory. And the Gospels of Advent stress this twofold preparation. And you know that I'm using, uh, it's been about a year now, I've been using primarily that New Catholic Bible uh, translation. I think it's really the best of the modern English translations. But I have to admit, I did fudge Matthew 24:28 when I said, where the body is, there the eagles will gather. Because most modern uh, English Bibles translate it in a different way. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about why, when we come back, with lots more No-Nonsense Catholic, right after these messages. So stay with us here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio, all that and more, including a discussion about Christian and human freedom coming up after these messages. Okay, welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic. And I mentioned before the break, uh, we were reading from the gospel uh, for the 24th Sunday after Pentecost, which is from Matthew 24 in the Olivet Discourse, and how we were reading from the New Catholic Bible, probably my favorite uh, modern English translation. Now I'll, go, I'll, I'll go further and say it is my favorite modern English translation because it doesn't have a lot of the inclusive language and other silliness. And it's also nice to see traditional translations like abomination of desolation in a modern uh, Bible translation. But as I confessed before the break, I did fudge on one verse, Matthew 24, 28. I said, wherever the body is, there the eagles will gather, which is the classic Douai Reims translation of the Latin Vulgate. And as you recall, our Lord's been describing all these terrible things that are going to happen. And then comes this verse out of the blue, wherever the body is, there the eagles will gather. Now, what does that mean? Uh, It's cast in the future tense, so that means it's a prophecy. Uh, The fathers tell us that the body refers to the Eucharistic body of Christ, which in the end times, as in the time of persecution in the early church, will not be found just anywhere. Daniel prophesied the Antichrist would take away the perpetual sacrifice Um, as the Jewish sacrifice ceased when Solomon's temple was destroyed in his day. Now we know from St. Paul in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3, that the great apostasy will have already occurred. That uh, Jesus himself asked in Luke 18, 8, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? The implication being, maybe not, suggesting that the mass will be scarce. You know, and already in our day, we see parishes closing at an alarming rate, and and it's almost unbelievably low mass attendance, at least at the Novus Ordo. But where the Holy Mass is, there the Eucharist, the body of Christ, as well as the congregation as the body of Christ, that's where it's found. And there will be gathered the eagles representing the saints of the church. Now, unfortunately, the New Catholic Bible like most other modern English versions, renders verse 28 differently. Rather than where the body is, there the eagles will gather. It says wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Now, obviously, that's really different. So why the change? Well, according to modern scholarship, this was you know, probably a well-known Jewish proverb that in this context signifies both the uncertain time of the Lord's coming and his universal presence. Okay. But then why did St. Jerome translate it body and not corpse, and eagles and not vultures? Well, some suggest that he rendered it eagles to refer to the Romans, who had the eagles on their standards, right? Casting them as, as scavengers of the corpse of Jerusalem, and thereby making this a reference to the plundering of the temple. Okay. But that would be an interpretation rather than a translation. And while modern translators, uh, let's be honest, do that sort of thing all the time, but St. Jerome, you know, not so much. Or could he have been mistaken? Well, St. Jerome was one of the four great Latin doctors of the church, but Koine Greek, that is New Testament Greek, was his native language. If he says eagles, then I suspect the Greek means eagles. Likewise, origin of Alexandria. He He read Koine Greek, and he... Um, said in reference to this verse in the Septuagint, okay, in the New Testament Greek that Jerome translated from, he's talking about the the, the Greek version now. He says, observe, Jesus does not say vultures or crows, but eagles, showing the lordliness and royalty of all who have believed in the Lord's passion. Believers are, after all, children of God and co-heirs with Christ. Further, Jerome's translation says corpus, which is body in English. If he had wanted to say corpse, the Latin for corpse is cadaver. So the proper English translation is definitely where the body is there, the eagles will gather. And and it's because we do not picture eagles as carrion birds. You know, and unlike crows or vultures, eagles prefer to eat living flesh. So the meaning is clear. The eagles represent the faithful, who in those days will know to flee to the mountains and escape the destruction. Like the eagles, uh, the faithful view things from a higher perspective than those who are caught up in the world and the flesh and only see things from a worldly perspective. And where do they gather? With the body, that is the body of Christ. Not only the congregation, but in the Eucharist, the body of Christ, the living bread, which is his flesh given for the life of the world that we receive. Uh, Bishop Louis de Grospillon who participated at Vatican I and the first plenary session of Baltimore. He said in a sermon on this gospel, Let us now, at least in spirit, kneel before the tabernacle and say, I firmly believe that Jesus Christ, the sovereign judge, is is present under the appearance of bread. Through love of men he shed his blood, and in the Holy Church I find him, day and night, ready to listen to my prayers. Here is the holy table where he feedeth my soul unto life everlasting, and here is the altar where he offers himself every day as a victim of thanksgiving and propitiation. Pardon, O Lord, all my negligences toward the mystery of thy body and blood. Grant that I may ever love thee, that I may often unite myself to thee in thy sacrament. And then I will fear neither death nor judgment. Wherever the body is, there the eagles will gather. And I think that is a fitting motto for uh, this uh, time between now and 2024, when the bishops of the United States have called for a Eucharistic revival. Where the body is, there the eagles will gather. And that's no nonsense. Okay, I've stayed quiet about this uh, for some time, but as a known medievalist, many of my friends and acquaintances have asked my opinion of the new Lord of the Rings program on Amazon Prime. Now, of course, uh, Professor Tolkien's Lord of the Rings is one of my favorite uh, works of literature, but it's not medieval, nor is it historical. It is, on the contrary, a modern work of fantasy and Amazon purchased the rights to The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, and to Tolkien's appendices, on which this new program is purportedly based. Um, And I say purportedly, because from all indications, this new program has little or nothing to do with Tolkien's appendices. Pardon me. And although it is meant to be a prequel, as they call it, Rings of Power also has nothing at all to do with the Silmarillion, which was a work collated from Professor Tolkien's notes by his son, and published posthumously. A work that gives us his vision of the early history of Middle Earth, wherein the story of the Rings of Power takes place. Now, I understand perfectly. I was in the entertainment business. I know that liberties must be taken when adapting a book to the screen. Timelines condensed, characters combined, etc. That's just a fact of life. After all, we're talking about two different media. And I have no problem with making allowances for you know, black actors to play elves or, or dwarves or whatever, or for a storyline with a strong female lead. All of that's fine. But as a fan of the books, what I detest are liberties taken with Tolkien's well-known characters, and especially with his vision, his Roman Catholic ethos, which is apparent in Lord of the Rings and in The Hobbit. Now, for example, I understand that the young Galadriel has been reimagined as a strong, independent, butt-kicking warrior princess. So, uh, Amazon has remade Galadriel of Lorien, the Lady of Light, into, well, an Amazon. And worse than that, she's apparently involved in some kind of, you know, quasi-romantic relationship with a sexy version of Sauron, the diabolical arch-villain of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Now, both... Lord of the Rings, and The Hobbit take place in the Third Age of Middle-Earth. Rings of Power supposedly takes place in the Second Age of Middle-Earth. But according to the Silmarillion, Galadriel understand that the elves are essentially immortal, that they live for centuries and centuries. So according to to Tolkien's prequel, Galadriel meets the High Elf Celeborn in the First Age of Middle-Earth, and they get married and have children, plural, including their daughter, Calabrian, who goes on to marry Elrond and then is the mother of Arwen, Aragorn's love interest in Lord of the Rings. But in Rings of Power, there's no mention of Celeborn until, I understand, episode seven. And apparently, Galadriel is asked if she's ever lost anyone to Morgoth or Sauron, the the evil characters. And she answers that not only did the forces of darkness take her brother Finrod from her, they also took her husband. The implication is that Kelleborn, the character who utters the famous line in Fellowship of the Ring, tell me, where is Gandalf? But I much desire to speak with him. That Kelleborn is dead. Now, obviously, you can't have a modern, stream, strong female lead who's married with children, right? Because she's got to be proud and petulant and, and violent and headstrong and morally compromised. Unless, of course, maybe Celeborn really isn't dead. Maybe he's uh, just disappeared or being held prisoners. You know, they're cagey about it, and and the show's writer-producers are pretty much admitted. They're just making it up as they go along. Now, according to the almighty internet, The Rings of Power has so far performed pretty well for Amazon video, I mean, for an Amazon video streaming series. And under ordinary circumstances, Amazon would probably proclaim it a hit and move on. If it weren't for the fact that this is the most expensive TV series ever made some $60 million an episode. And at least nominally based on one of the most well-known and beloved intellectual properties of all time, it should have been a huge hit making it a huge hit was a no brainer. The iconic look is there. The the effects are there. The music is there. And because of the remarkable popularity of the Lord of the Rings books and, and the movies, consumer recognition is incredibly high, not to mention the actual massive Tolkien fan base, one of the largest and most fiercely loyal fandoms in the entire world. It should have been a slam dunk. But then again, so should the Star Wars franchise, right? Disney learned the hard way that you can't mess with an iconic property without biting the hand that feeds you. <laughs> Those disastrous Disney Star Wars movies are a prime example of uh, a modern axiom in the business world, which is get woke, go broke. But the message has apparently not reached the ivory tower at Amazon Prime, and they're clueless producers. So because of Amazon's relentless hubris in their adapting Tolkien's work, the Lord of the Rings fan base hates it. And uh, I would think rightly so. See, the sad part is that Peter Jackson actually demonstrated that a more or less faithful retelling of Lord of the Rings, you know, with due allowance for the kind of license needed to take a book to the screen, um, it made for one of the most successful and beloved movie trilogies of all time. Even after 20 years and and everything that's happened to technology since then, Jackson's depiction of such scenes as the Bridge of Khazad-dum or the Battle of Helm's Deep or uh, the Battle of Pelennor Fields. Think about when, uh, when Eowyn confronts the Witch King of Anor. Gives me chills, right? These things continue to stand up, not only in terms of the acting and the emotion and the music, which is superlative, but even the visual effects and, and the cinematography as well. You know, the, the digitally created CGI orcs and goblins of, of the Hobbit movies are already looking dated and uncanny whereas the live actors in costumes and makeup have stood the test of time. We'll talk more about this. I see we're almost out of time. We'll be back with lots more No Nonsense Catholic and my take on Rings of Power right after this. Stay with us. All right. Thanks for staying with us. Welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic. We were talking about, um, well, actually, we were talking about rings of power. But I was mentioning how a, a more or less faithful retelling of uh, Tolkien's uh, tales was the secret of the success of L- Peter Jackson's Lord of the Ring trilogy, which really, even after twenty years, stands the test of time. And especially, you know, when you, when not just the the uh, the music and the acting and the cinematography and the effects. You add to that the iconic lines and characters uh, that had such a profound cultural impact in cinema, and his Lord of the Rings trilogy emerges as perhaps the greatest movie trilogy uh, of all time up until now, just as the books from which the characters and dialogue were taken has been voted the greatest work of English literature for the 20th century. You see, I guess... The problem with Rings of Power is the the self-indulgent attempt to improve on Tolkien. I mean, the the agenda-driven writers and producers that are calling the shots just think they know better than the greatest author of the 20th century, but (laughs) they don't. And I guess this underlies the the real reason why why I'm not going to be, you know, watching this series, and that's something called custody of the eyes and of the mind. Now, look, I'm a baby boomer, so I'm part of the first generation to grow up with television. Looney Tunes in the morning before school, reruns of Roy Rogers and Lone Ranger in the afternoon, uh, In the evenings, Bonanza, Man from Uncle, Gilligan's Island, Get Smart, et cetera, et cetera. And it was TV also that introduced me to the classic adventure movies like Robin Hood and Ivanhoe, King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. Those were the very movies that sparked my interest in the Middle Ages in the first place. Uh, so back in 2011, when games of throne was first on TV, uh, lots of people told me, oh, you should watch this because it's, you know, was supposedly such a realistic depiction of the middle ages. So gritty, so true to life. And when I was like, wait, isn't that show about ice zombies and people riding dragons and woolly mammoths, you know, it sounds more like cover art for a heavy metal album than something based on medieval history. Uh, but I was assured that while it was a fantasy, Game of Thrones really was based on real medieval history on the war of the roses to be precise. So it's a serious depiction of, of medieval times and, and be that as it may, we didn't have HBO and I didn't have the time or the money to spend on the books. And it was, it was a moot point for me. And that was until I took a flight to Europe a few years later to give some talks, uh, coincidentally at a genuine medieval monastery. And the flight to London was, I don't know, 12 hours or so. And to my delight, I discovered that the in-flight entertainment included several seasons of Game of Thrones. So uh, the flight attendant brought me my shepherd's pie, and I settled in to binge watch my way across the Atlantic. But I no, no sooner hit play on episode one of Game of Thrones than I was regaled with gratuitous and extremely graphic violence equally gratuitous nudity and explicit sexual content, including fornication, adultery, and incest, as well as child murder, attempted child murder anyway. And that's just the first episode. (laughs) So I stopped watching, said an act of contrition. And, And seriously, to call Game of Thrones morally offensive is an insult to morally offensive TV programs. And to add insult to injury, it is not at all representative of the middle ages. I mean, not that such things didn't occur, you know, then is now, but not as the norm of acceptable behavior. And I guess that's the key. I'm asking myself, all these people, I mean, some of them Catholics, saying to me, oh, you got to watch this because it's great. You know, what were they thinking? I mean, someone might argue that the Holy Scripture contains Such themes as adultery and fornication and sodomy, suicide, child sacrifice, murder, revenge, and so it does. But it presents those things in a way that is unambiguous and indeed inspired, represents them for what they really are. Which is to say evils, evils that will be punished by God, intrinsic evils for which there is no justification but never as acceptable or in any way defensible. And now back to Amazon Prime. Now, Rings of Power is not Game of Thrones, okay? The argument here isn't about sex or violence, but this politically correct betrayal of Tolkien's ethos. Now, the one positive uh, that I've heard from Tolkien fans who held their noses and watched all of the episodes of Rings of Power is how visually stunning it is apparently every bit as much as the best of the Peter Jackson movies, you know, which is not all that surprising given the you know, enormous budget and the involvement of Weta to Workshop. But all that really means is that they've dressed up their nonsense in an attractive package. And I seem to remember reading something about that. The woman saw how beautiful the tree was and how good its fruit would be to eat. that sound familiar? <laughs> we all know how that turned out. Dressing up evil in an attractive package—there's a name for that. It's called temptation, and it's all the more diabolical when the object of temptation is a good thing that's been corrupted. See, I still like to watch TV, but mostly, uh, mostly these days, I'm watching old westerns. And you notice I—I I don't say just westerns, but old westerns, and old mystery shows like uh, like Columbo. I'm, I'm rewatching all the Columbos right now, and for the simple reason. That you can't enjoy virtually any modern TV shows without making some moral compromise. Now, am I overstating the case? Well, try this on for size. I want you to name one mainstream TV show where fornication is treated as a mortal sin. Because it is, you know. Even a show from the <clears throat> pardon me, from the 80s, like Cheers, revolved almost entirely around fornication and the idiotic pettiness of a bunch of people who hang out in a bar drinking all day. <laughs> and that's become an American cultural icon. Or how about this? Name a popular contemporary TV show where sodomy is treated as a mortal sin. Because it is, you know. Some will argue that's just the way things are. Fornication and sodomy are, are accepted nowadays. Same-sex marriage, is, is so-called, is, is legal too. Right? And so is abortion. Now, something else that's never represented as a mortal sin on mainstream TV, but it is, you know. And you're old enough to know that having the legal right to do something is not the same as being morally right in doing it. And even when the show's not too bad, often the commercials are so woke they make you choke. And and, I, and I'm just, I'm kind of sick and tired of the fact that just watching TV means being constantly forced into some kind of moral compromise. You know, maybe watching modern TV is just a guilty pleasure, only a fault, or, or at most a venial sin. But I'm afraid that giving in to that guilty pleasure, and I'm guilty too, represents a laxity of conscience. And laxity is not, it's not charity, it's not sophistic- sophistication. Laxity is moral weakness. And laxity that goes unchecked increases until the person practically loses all sense of wrong and becomes himself a habitual sinner. And habitual little sins lead to big ones. Pardon me. I gotta grease these uh, skids there. Pope St. Pius X went so far as to say that all the strength of Satan's reign is due to the easygoing weakness of Catholics. But how many things, just ask yourself, how many things that were universally considered morally repugnant just 10 or 20 years ago have become generally accepted. And I wonder how big a role did TV play in this frankly inconceivable moral decline of modern Western society? A situation not seen since the decline and fall of pagan Rome, and more importantly, what am I supposed to do about it? Well, the last time the church faced a society this morally corrupt, St. Paul wrote a letter to the Romans He said, do not conform yourselves to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and pleasing and perfect. And how do we accomplish this? As he wrote to the Philippians, finally, brethren, let your minds be filled with whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing whatever is commendable, whatever is excellent, whatever is worthy of praise. See, there's an old expression, a computer expression, garbage in, garbage out. So I'm not telling you to stop watching TV, but I am telling you, you need to spend time in prayer every day. You need to spend time with the scriptures every day. You need to spend time with Christ because Christ is the truth. So St. Paul tells us to fill our minds with the truth because all truth, whatever its source, is Christian because its ultimate source is God. And the purpose of art is to express the truth. And that's no nonsense. Now we've been talking about TV and, and TV is one of the main arteries by which we transmit modern culture. Uh, the root word of culture is cult. Cult meaning you know religion or at least a shared system of belief. And television is a powerful medium. And for decades now, TV has been used as a means of changing culture, changing attitudes. Now, in America, we believe in freedom, and we believe in freedom of expression. But I want to talk a little bit right now about true freedom, about human freedom, and about Christian freedom. Let me give you a definition. Freedom, to be free is to have the power, without constraint, to be the person that God created you to be. Freedom is not the power to do whatever you want. That's license. Freedom is the power to do good. And freedom also is not freedom from reality. If you're a man, then God did not create you to be a woman. And Denying this is not an exercise of freedom. It's a sign of confusion at best. You know, the latest appointee to the Supreme Court of the United States said under oath that she's not qualified to answer the question, what is a woman? (laughs) This person is going to judge the most important questions put before our country. People are confused, they say, about their gender. Well, that's not surprising. Human beings have sex. Words have gender. Language assigns gender to words. La mesa el telefono. But when a doctor says, congratulations, it's a boy, He's not assigning gender. He's stating a biological fact. To say otherwise does not proceed from freedom, but from deception or, or at best confusion. But God is not the God of confusion, but the God of peace. Freedom is one of God's greatest gifts to us. And so we need to understand it and not be confused. And I can tell you that just going along with the currents of culture is not freedom. Freedom. Like Bishop Sheen said, even a dead body can float downstream, or perhaps I should say float along with the live stream. It takes the truly alive to fight against the current. And I use that word quite advisedly. And I'll tell you what I mean when we come back with lots more No-Nonsense Catholic. Stay with us. Welcome back the final round on today's no-nonsense Catholic here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. I mentioned before the break that Bishop Sheen said that even a dead body can float downstream, but it takes the living to fight against the current. And I use that word fight advisedly because nothing in your life is going to change without confrontation. You must confront reality and make good use of your freedom. St. Augustine said a good man is free even if he is a slave. And an evil man is a slave, even if he is a king. Freedom. Freedom is the power to do good. And what's God's plan concerning human freedom? Well, his plan is that you and I, united with Jesus Christ, should give a free answer to his call. It's a part of our human dignity and duty to be free because we're responsible for our actions. We must keep the law of God, which is taught by Jesus, So we must be free to answer God's call, and we can answer his call with the help of Christ. God gave the gift of freedom to human nature way back in the Garden of Eden, and God gave his grace to Adam and Eve. That was the greatest of his gifts to them, a share in his own divine life. They were truly free with the freedom of the children of God, but through sin The human race lost God's grace. We lost our natural share in the divine life. And our freedom was badly harmed by human weakness, by original sin. But even after the original sin, human weakness can be overcome by grace. Our hope lies in the grace of Christ, merited on the Holy Cross and communicated to us by the sacraments of the church he founded. The freedom a fallen man has been so weakened that he would not be able, or we would not be able to fulfill our duties to God and neighbor for very long without the help of his grace. But by God's grace, our freedom is so raised and so strengthened that we can lead a life pleasing to God in the faith of Jesus Christ. Therefore, the church promotes human freedom for two reasons. Number one, for man's welfare on the earth. And number two, for the higher good of eternal salvation. So the church promotes true freedom for the good of all mankind on earth, defends freedom against unjust force, asks all Christians of whatever stripe to work together to protect freedom. But the church especially defends freedom for the spiritual welfare of mankind. The church teaches that man's answer to God in faith must be free. Therefore, even though the church believes that Christ is the way and the truth and the life, and that no one goes to the Father except through him, she has always insisted that no one is to be forced to accept Christian faith against their will. Human freedom, the gift, the divine gift of free will, is that important to God. Finally, the church claims for herself the freedom uh, as a society of men and women who have the God-given right to live according to the Christian faith, which alone leads to man's welfare on earth and his eternal salvation in heaven. After the Passover Sunday on Holy Thursday night, Jesus said many things to comfort his disciples before he entered into his passion. He had just given them the Eucharist, for he had changed the bread and wine into his body and blood. And he commanded them to offer Holy Mass in memory of him, giving them the power to consecrate bread and wine as he did. To show how closely he would be united with us through the Eucharist, he said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. Apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me will be thrown away like a withered branch. Such branches are gathered up thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you may ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. It is God's plan that united with Jesus, we freely choose to do his will that we Freely follow the example of Jesus and say to the Father, not my will, but thine be done. And by the grace of God, we can overcome our human weakness. The grace of God is like the sap that runs through the vine into the branches to give them life and strength. Jesus is the vine. You and I are the branches. And God is always offering us actual graces, that is, supernatural help to do, uh, well, the, the supernatural help that we need to do good and to avoid evil. He gives light to our minds and strength to our wills. So each and every day, we must pray that we make good use of His graces by the exercise, the proper exercise of our freedom. God sends us these graces in order that we, we may do good works which will make God's life grow in our souls That's to, to achieve greater holiness. Precisely since we are free to accept or reject these graces, we should pray. We should pray that we may exercise that freedom rightly and use God's graces well, and in this way answer his call to holiness and happiness. A lot of folks are concerned that we may be facing the end of the world. I don't know. We may certainly be ending the end of an era or facing the end of an era. It's equally certain that the end will come. So in these difficult times, we should remember that the kingdom of God is among us and within us. The Holy Spirit, the giver of life and strength, dwells in your soul like a temple. So long as you are in the state of grace. So I think rather than praying to God to change our circumstances, perhaps we should be praying that the Holy Spirit will change us as he changed the apostles on Pentecost. And then we can use our freedom to be true witnesses to Christ. And that's no nonsense. All right. Wow. The hour goes fast. We only have a few minutes left and I have uh, some uh, house cleaning to do, some things I need to tell you about. Uh, this January the 14th is coming up fast. January the 14th, 2023. Virgin Most Powerful Radio will be hosting an evangelization conference here at the Sacred Heart Chapel in Covina. It's an all-day event. Our featured speakers will be Johnny Romero, uh, the brother of uh, Jesse Romero, Virgin Most Powerful own Jesse Romero, and the man who literally wrote the book on lay evangelization, How to Share Your Faith with Anyone, our own Terry Barber. Admission is only $35 for a single or $60 for a married couple. And online registration is open right now at bmpr.org. Or you can call the office uh, toll-free at 877-526-2151 and register by phone for the January 14th Virgin Most Powerful Evangelization Conference. So I hope uh, that you can make it. Also, speaking of conferences, uh, coming up before you know it is our annual Spiritual Warfare Conference on March 25th and 26th, 2023. And this year, we have a very special guest. Uh, Bishop Joseph Strickland will be joining us, along with world-renowned exorcist Father Chad Ripperger, our own Jesse Romero, Dr. Dan Schneider, and Kyle Clement from the Libra Cristo Deliverance Ministry will also be with us. And once again this year, the conference will be held at St. Joseph's Church in Pomona. Now, we moved uh, from Sacred Heart Chapel to St. Joseph's um, because it can— a, uh, you know, accommodate more people than our Sacred Heart Chapel. And it is a beautiful uh, traditional uh, church, absolutely wonderful. The, the sanctuary there is just gorgeous. And um, I would be remiss if I did not inform you that last year, even with the larger venue, which can accommodate like three times as many people as Sacred Heart Chapel, um, we had to close registration early because of the large volume of folks who wanted to attend and this is our most popular conference. We're gonna have all uh, our usual great speakers plus Bishop Strickland this year. So if you wanna come, I suggest you register as soon as possible. Admission is $95 for a single or $180 for a married couple. Registration is open and it is already filling up. So if you wanna attend, please don't hesitate. Visit vmpr.org to register online or call our office toll-free at 877-526-2151 and reserve your place at the Virgin Most Powerful Radio Annual Spiritual Warfare Conference, March 25th and 26th of the year of our Lord, 2023. Finally, um, in the house cleaning area here, we continue to get folks telling us that they're having trouble Uh, uh, accessing our podcasts uh, of the Terry and Jesse show on iTunes and Google. And apparently now that also, it's not just Terry and Jesse, but it's also this program. And we don't know what's going on. We've been uh, um, going back and forth with Apple. And um, I can tell you that it's not on our end. And I'm not saying it's on purpose, but, you know, our other programs aren't affected. Um, So my advice is this, you can listen to us anytime on the iHeartRadio app, and um, you can listen on all of the popular platforms, and to be sure, you can go to vmpr.org, check out the show page of the programs that you like, and you'll find a list of all the platforms where they're available. Better yet, while you are at uh, virginmostpowerful.org, download our free Virgin Most Powerful radio smartphone app, absolutely free as all of our VMPR programs. They they stream live um, every day when they're being uh, podcast slash broadcast, and they're also then available to listen to on the app. Uh, Also, besides the show, there's lots of other content um, as prayers and uh, the Holy Rosary and the Chapel of Divine Mercy, other things as well. Uh, so it's all right there in one uh, convenient spot and it is stable and you will always have it with you as long as you've got a smartphone and best of all, it is absolutely free. So please visit virginmostpowerfulradio.org and download our VMP or smartphone app today. All right. Um, I guess that is just about it for this edition of No Nonsense Catholic. I want to say thank you so much for listening and I want to say thank you for your support of this program, especially I, not only your prayers, but of course um, the financial gifts that you are able to give to Virgin most powerful radio. It is, uh, the coming end of the secular year. And so if you have not uh, donated this year, or if you have a little something left over that you can uh, spare, please go to VMPR.org and and hit the donate uh, button and, um, Uh, it will be greatly appreciated and put to good use, and it's tax-deductible, and so if you are concerned about that, you only have uh, that short window of a few weeks uh, to get it in. Okay, next week we're going to be talking about Advent, and we will get around uh, to—Advent, of course, is about the the coming of Jesus at Christmas. It's about the second coming at the end of time. We didn't get to it today, but next week we will talk about what St. Bernard of Clairvaux called the third coming of Christ. All right, all that and more next time on No Nonsense Catholic here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. In the meantime, thanks for listening, and may God richly bless you and your family.